Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Numbers. I guess I should say if you have your Bibles, Blackberry, or phone. Turn to Numbers. Hey, I'm, I'm going to say this. And what, Oh, there's no Blackberries anymore. I'm sorry. I'm really relatively young. I'll prove that to you. We used to have a song similar to what they sang up here where, as Shane said, why don't you bust a move? I said, all you bust at my age is bones. But we used to have a song when I was a kid where they said, stand up neat and tall. We're going to sing deep and wide. Does anybody ever remember that? There's a fountain flowing deep and wide. And every now and then, one of the kids would go, deep and wide. The fountain. But that's the, that's, the, that's the most of my radical music right there. Um, the other thing that I picked up on, I don't know if you picked up on it, but... Uh, the lock-in. You're expecting a hundred kids, and you're serving what? Good luck with that. Good luck with that. Uh, Miss Bird is here today, uh, and I'm thankful she's here and thankful you're here. Guess who was going to come? Jay Bird, James Bird, was going to come. He's 90 years old. Said, "If I can, I'm gonna get up and come." He's had a lot of illnesses, but I'm gonna tell you, he's a tough guy. That's a tough guy. He's feeling a little better. Uh, and he'll get about four hours of church service today with the way TV is. He, he'll be watching a lot of, of that at home, but he really wanted to be here. So I'd ask you to pray for him. There's others in our church that we need to pray for. We don't like to just single out. But um, I got to tell you, he's a good friend. He's a good man. He's a good Christian. He's got a wonderful wife. She takes care of him. I don't know how they do it. I don't have that energy. I'm always telling them, sit in that recliner and just watch gun smoke. That's what I do. Because my wife reminds me regularly, are you in that recliner watching gun smoke? So I'm trying to be a little more active. I'm thankful that um, my wife is here. My three girls are here. Trey is here. Trey, thanks for being here. So I want you to buckle up. I'm going to talk fast. I got a clock that says I have 25 minutes. That ain't going to work. Buckle up. I'm going to talk fast. I want to get through the introduction because the meat of this thing is in the back end. But I don't want you today, as you listen to the message and maybe the Holy Spirit speaks to you, don't put a shoe on your foot that don't belong there, okay? Because a ride might get a little rough before I'm done. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see how the Lord does that. But I want to wish you a happy Labor Day coming Monday. Get a day off of work. Um, I, I got, I'll t- share a secret with you. When you retire, every day is a day off. Somebody asked me from Gulfstream, said, you like retirement? I said, yeah, if I'd have known it was this good, I would have retired after my first year. Of course, you can't. But anyway, I'm enjoying that. Uh, And uh, I want to just say today we're going to talk about faith. I appreciate that song. Uh, Today we're going to conclude our series of heroes and villains, and our topics today will be on the 12 spies. I never really focused in on these 12 spies until this message, and and I am amazed at the richness of God's Word uh, when you think about the 12 spies. Now, we'll have a scripture come up on the board right now here on the screen, I think. The Lord spoke to Moses saying in Numbers 13, 1, send men to spy out the land of Canaan which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. And you find that in Numbers 13 too. So they had a, a, a representative from each tribe to go in and spy out the land to get a, a, get a full scope of, of every tribe that's uh, in Israel. 
So I thought about a title for this. Title could be this. I'd hate to be a villain here. Or maybe it would be make up your mind. This will make sense later on. Or possibly the saddest verse I know. If I don't forget, I'm going to share that with you. And then I think what is fitting is we live by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. Circumstances drive too much of a believer's uh, life instead of faith and trust in God. As we go through this message, I want you to try to put yourself in the scene that I'm talking about. I do that all the time. When I, last week we talked about Joseph, and I, I got into that thing, and I said God's plan was to get Joseph in Egypt. Why was that? Because he had to get them Israelites in Egypt in a great land called Goshen so he could grow them into a mighty nation because he was going to bring them out and send them to right where they are in, in our setting today, right at the doorstep of the promised land, the land that, that God promised Abraham. This is going to be a great land, and they are right on the precipice of entering that land. So as we go through this, I want you to try to imagine yourself in the different scenes that I bring up, and I think it'll be meaningful for you as we study God's Word. The work of the 12 spies was life-changing for them and their families at this time. On the screen, you're going to see the names of the 12 spies. It's broken down by villains and heroes. If you'll notice these, I want to, if you notice, this is the let me make sure this is right. What we got there? Two, four, six, eight, ten. Ten. That's your ten villains right there. And in this, in this context, a villain is someone that is faithless and does not trust in God. Notice they say, here's who their fathers are. And notice they say, there's the tribe they're from. Now, if we go to our heroes, they're kind of outnumbered here. Do we have a slide on the heroes? Caleb and Joshua their fathers, and their tribes. So God goes through great lengths to give you the detail of these 12 spies by, by re, for a reason. They, uh, let's see here. God goes into great lengths to record it, not only their individual names, but the fathers' names and the tribes they're from. They are forever recorded in history, in the history of God's words. And these 10 caused significant damage to themselves, the nation, and to their families by their unbelief and rebellion to God. As a result of their unfaithfulness and failure to trust God, the children of Israel will turn away from the promised land and wander in the wilderness. They were on the cusp of entering into the land of promise that God gave Abraham and his descendants. They are the descendants. They knew all about Abraham. And they were instructed to go in and take the land. It's yours. You go take that land. And you know what? We get our instructions on faithfulness from God through his word. As Christians, we are to know his word and follow his word and get our instruction from God. Isn't it interesting that when you say the 12 spies, there's two names that come up all the time. Can you guess which two they are? Every time I hear the 12 spies, the first name I hear is, oh, you're talking about Joshua. You're talking about Caleb. You got the other 10? Nope. Because Joshua and Caleb made a significant run at trying to get the rest of Israel to follow God in faith. So let me set the scene. The Israelites have departed Egypt. They've arrived at the entrance to the promised land. 
It's been approximately a year, maybe a year and three months since they've been out of Egypt. They've come from bondage and slavery. They're moving towards freedom. In Deuteronomy 1, we won't have that on the board. In Deuteronomy is really a, a, a bunch of farewell speeches that Moses gives the people. Um, and he give that, it, it happens around the first day of the 11th month of the 40th year. So this, this is fast forwarding to Deuteronomy. God's getting Moses ready to get them to go into the promised land. Their 40 years of wandering are just about up. But I, I, I say that about that verse for this reason. The people ask Moses about sending in a scouting party to kind of direct them on how. And Moses thought it was a good idea. And, a, a Lord, and the Lord apparently agreed because what we read on the board in Numbers 13, 1 and 2 is God said go. So the scouting party is set to go. Planning is never a bad idea. You know, you hear people say, I'm just going to go on blind faith. I thought about becoming a missionary to Hawaii. I'm just going to go on blind faith. No support, no nothing. I'm just going to go. And I say that facetiously because somebody once told me, don't tell God where you won't go because that's where you'll go. I say, I got Hawaii, number one. I'd like to go to the Caribbean, number two. I ain't picking none of them countries that didn't seem to be fun, and I'm being facetious. But anyway, you plan. Planning is never a bad thing, so the spies are ready to go on their mission. So what was their mission? I think that may come up on the board. I don't know. Do we have the mission? So here's the mission. They were given specific route instructions, and they were to bring back the following intelligence. See what the land is. Are the people who dwell there in it strong or weak? Are the people few or many? Are they in camps? Are they strongholds? Is the land that they dwell in good or bad? That's kind of rhetorical. It's good. But go tell us what you think about the land. Is the land rich or poor? Another rhetorical. It's rich. But you go check it out for yourself. Are there trees in the land? So I thought about that. Wood. You need wood because they're going to be doing some building. Um, they might need trees, lots of trees and forests to hide in as they're overtaking this land. But then I thought, you know why I'd want trees? If I, but then I thought, you know why I'd want trees if I wilderness for a year? I sure would like some shade. I sure would like a cool breeze blowing through them trees and cooling me off. So that's, that's where I went with trees. Bring back some samples of what you find. And in this case, they brought back some produce. Because they went into the land in midsummer, probably around July, and harvest, things like that, they're going to bring back some samples of what that was. Let me make sure this is very important. This was not a mission to determine if they should go into the land or not. They were instructed to go into the land. That was not in question. They were going to figure out, okay, how are we going to do this? What they reported on in Numbers 13, I want you to, here's where I'd like you to put, you, put yourself in the scene. Here's what they reported on in Numbers 13, verses 25 through 30. I'm going to read and make some comments. I figured that's the best way to do this, and maybe the Lord will cut us loose as we speak here. At the end of 40 days, you know what, let's stop right here. I think we need to pray. Let, let me pray real quick. Father, we thank you for this day and each person that's here. 
We thank you for who you are, God. We thank you for your glory. And Lord, we thank you for providing Jesus Christ for us to pay our penalty for sin so that one day, Lord, we can come and live with you in heaven. Lord, I pray as I speak here, and especially in this portion of Scripture, that you'd give me the freedom to speech, to speak and do that in love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So 13, verse, chapter 13, verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Imagine you're an Israelite and somebody spots that the spies are coming back. Probably a wife said, hey kids, your daddy's on his way back. And the kids are going, daddy's on his way back. He's been gone 40 days. He knows where we're going. We're going to go into the promised land. We're going to get out of this wilderness. And they probably ran up and grabbed daddy. And you know, the, the, the wife went up and hugged his neck. We are so glad you're back from the promised land. And we're looking forward to hearing what you have to say. So put yourself in that situation. The whole lot of Israel, could be a million plus people, are all out there anxiously waiting on these spies to come back and tell them about the land God promised to Abraham, and we're going in. That's their expectation. And so they told them the fruit, they told them, um, let me see, where am I at? They brought back word to them and all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Guess what two guys were bringing back? They had a pole on their shoulders and they had a cluster of grapes. Two men had to bring that cluster of grapes back. This was a big single cluster of grapes. Now I go get my grapes and I bet you when they brought, I'm just spiritualizing here a little bit. They brought that back, Moses said, man, Oh, boy, they are good. I get that every morning. My wife goes, ah, those ain't what I thought they were. I don't pick the best grapes, but trust me, these were the best. And it's two men carrying a cluster of grapes, and they brought back other things. For people that had been in the wilderness and eaten what they ate, this is awesome. They're excited. These people are excited. But listen to this. We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruits. However, the people, so they're just given the report. They were asked to give a full report. People who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Negab. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Their excitement, you can assume when I read the next verse, their excitement about going in the land turned into, what? That's over there? What's all that about? And Caleb hears their murmuring, and this is what Caleb said. Here's your faithful guy. In, in verse 30, 30, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome this. Hey, you're not focused on God here. God's on our side. He gave us this land. Let's go take it. 
Settle down here. Probably hindsight, Moses would have probably wished him and Aaron would have met with the 12 in a tent and talked about it and said, hang on, we got to talk about how we present this to the people. But that wasn't the case. It was all presented out in the open. So Caleb said, let's go do it. The villains, our villains in this story stir up the people. Look at verse 31. Now, not only did they stir it up, but they embellished. They embellished. You ever been around somebody that embellishes? Don't say me. They embellished. Just give us the facts. No, we're going to have to. Apparently, apparently, I'm spiritualizing again. Those ten villains must have been talking and said, hey, listen, it's Caleb and Joshua's going to go back and say God will take. But I'm telling you, we need to come up with a plan here because these people will kill us. This is, this is going to be tough. No focus on God, only on circumstances. So here's what the villains do. In verse 31, the villains say, Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. They're stronger than God. He didn't say that, but that's what he means. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. Really? And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. All of them? And there we saw Nephilim. Now, Nephilim is the word for, you remember before the flood? Remember the giants roaming the land? These are really big people. They compared what they saw there to the giants before the flood. Really? And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, as so we seem to them. These guys were huge. Everybody's huge. Not only are the guys huge, the wives are huge. They just devour their inhabitants. We can't go up against him because we like a little bitty grasshopper. Is that embellishment? Sure it is. They made it worse than it was. They were looking at the circumstances. Hey, listen, God ain't even in this picture we're giving you. This is bad. So they stirred the people up. They're villains. They have no faith. They have no trust. So what were the results of the villains' actions? Look at chapter 14, verse 1. It's fixing to get really good here. Then all the congregations raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Be careful what you think and be careful what you say. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Be careful what you say. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. There's a, there's a, a verse in the Bible that says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I want to trust God for everything. I can't trust God for this. I'm going to sell out to God. Well, I've been thinking about that. And you know what happens? You start thinking wrong. I was going to say I'm going to use a word, but then I think I'm going to use a word that starts with, but I ain't going to say that. How stupid. I mean, I don't know any other way to say it than stupid. 
These people were led out of Egypt after a series of plagues in Egypt where it literally almost ruined the country and killed their firstborn. When they left, the Egyptians wanted them to go so fast, take whatever you want and get out of here. God led them through the wilderness and the, the, the Pharaoh and the Egyptians, Egyptians said, well, they went to the top of the Red Sea, Aquaba of the Red Sea, where, where Solomon used to sail a ship or, or will sell a ship. They went up there and then they turned around and headed back down. And they're wandering all around. The wilderness has locked them in. And Pharaoh said, let's go get them. And the Bible gives a description of all of his chariots. He took his choice, choice chariots that had the, the gold-plated rims and the raised white letters on the tires. These were grand chariots, and they loaded them up. I, I, would, I would say, if I had to guess, three-quarters of his army went after the Israelites. And God led Moses all the way down to what I believe they went through a pass with mountains on both sides, and once they got in, they come out to a beach for millions of people. And I believe it was New Abbey Beach. You can study that for yourself. Because they found gold-plated chariot wheels because coral don't stick to gold. They found that. And here they are on the beach, and they're going, Moses, we're trapped. And the Israelite or the Egyptians believe they're trapped. And they're after him. And Moses said to God, whatever he said, I don't remember at this point. God said to Moses, split, just raise your staff. And he took the cloud that they were following and it moved it behind him. And it, and it, and it caused the Egyptian army to go into disarray there. Moses raised his staff and split the sea. Myth you say? No, says I. The Bible says he split the sea. If you take a shot, aerial shot of that area, on this side of where they crossed, it was a deep ravine. On this side where they crossed, it was a deep ravine. Right in the middle, it's pretty flat. But it's deep. It's not like we're walking in knee-high water. It's deep. And they cross. And as they cross, the cloud moves away. The Egyptians see them. They go charging in after them. What happens? The waves collapse. They kill, they kill the Egyptians. So I said that to say this. Let's select a new leader and let's go back to Egypt. In that day, they had outposts and scouts and all. Can you imagine a million people moving back to Egypt and a scout getting word to the Pharaoh, hey, they're coming back. And the Pharaoh says, great, let's plan a party. Let's strike up the band. Let's welcome them back. Are you kidding me? You're going to go back to slavery, and it's probably going to be worse than you thought because of everything you put them through. That's the way they thought because they were looking at their circumstances, and I took too long there, and not by faith. So what were the results of the, the villain's deal? They had a riot on their hands. They had rebellion. They weeped all night. Oh, God, what are you doing to us? No faith. I can't believe this. Why would you bring us here and have all that? They, they're, they're on the verge of a riot. But then the heroes step in. In verse 5, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their face before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. They fell on their face and prayed to God. And I, if I could tell you what I believe Moses prayed, this is what I'd tell you he prayed. And God, Moses has raised his voice to God, and Psalm says he inclines his ear. So God is here, and Moses say, oh, God, don't kill these people. They don't know what they're doing. 
They're rebellious. They're stiff-necked. You know what we've been through. Don't kill them. Help us, Lord. He wasn't worried about him and Aaron. He's worried about the people, if you ask me. Moses and Aaron are pretty seasoned and old. They went to prayer. Joshua and Caleb, they're young guys. They try a, 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 a different approach while Moses and Aaron are praying. And God leans down and he hears the mob. And he hears Moses and Aaron. And then he hears Caleb and Joshua. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, were, were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Can you imagine Joshua and Caleb? Oh, I can't believe you people. Let's go do this. God will lead. They couldn't stand it. The circumstances overwhelmed any faith or trust they had in God. The land is right there. You know, I'd be going, hey, man, after a year and three months in the wilderness, man, come on. And God heard that. And God heard Moses and Aaron praying. And God heard the mob. And here's what the mob was saying. In verse 10. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. So God hears Moses and Aaron praying. God, don't just God. Have mercy on these people. And here's Joshua and Caleb going, come on, let's go. And then he hears, stone them. And as they're grabbing their stones, I believe, and fixing to stone Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb, we have this verse. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. That stopped everything. Let me talk to you real quick about the tent of the meeting. In Exodus 33, 7, the Bible says that Moses took a tent and put it outside of the camp. And that was called the tent of the meeting. And Moses would go out to that tent, and every, all the Israelites would be at their tent door looking. And he would go out to the tent, and he would go in the tent. And the glory of the Lord would come down in a cloud right in front of the doorway of the tent. And that's where Moses worshiped the Lord on behalf of the people, and he spoke to the Lord. And I'll tell you in a minute. And he spoke to the Lord, and all the people at the tent worshiped. God is right there with Moses. Moses is the most charismatically endowed person in the Old Testament. And God meets with him. And Moses goes out and talks to the people. And the Bible says when Moses left, when God ascends and Moses leaves, Joshua stayed by the tent. He stayed right by that tent. That was a special place. So that's the tent of the meeting. That's the first thing we have about that. But then in Numbers 11 and 10, God gives Moses help at the tent of the meeting. In, in, <coughs> in Numbers 11, the people came to Moses and said, you know what, Moses, we're kind of sick and tired of this manna. They were always complaining. We're sick and tired of this manna. We have manna for breakfast, we have manna for lunch, we have manna for supper, we have manna for a snack at night. We have manna for a snack. 
we fry it, we boil it, we do this, we do that, trying to change the taste of the manna. We miss our garlics and our leeks and our onions that we had in Egypt. Give us meat. We got meat in Egypt free. Moses went to God, probably one of his moments of despair, and said, God, I can't take these people no more. Now they want meat. Where am I going to get meat for these people? And God says, they want meat. I'm going to give them meat. They're going to get more quail than they ever thought they could eat. But Moses says this to God. God, I didn't birth these people. I can't, I can't do this. If you love me, kill me. You ever been around anybody where you say, God, I can't take them no more. If you love me, kill me. Probably not. But Moses was there. But God says, Moses, I got a different plan. Go pick 70 people out, 70 men that are good men, and you bring them to the tent of the meeting. And the Bible says, I am going to take some of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that rests on you, not in you, on you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spread that out over these 70 men to help you. Happened at the tent of the meeting. Now let me give you one more example of the tent of the meeting in Numbers 12. Miriam and Aaron, and I think Moses must have been by listening to them. <clears throat> Aaron and Miriam got to talking about one of Moses' wives. They just didn't like that. Does God not speak to us also? And then the Bible goes immediately in and says that Moses is one of the most meek and humble people in the world. So I'm assuming maybe Moses heard that and he said, hey, come on, y'all settle down. Let me read what happened there. It's very important. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. This is 12 of Numbers. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman who he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek and more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, come out you three to the tent of the meeting. Has anybody ever heard the term take them to the woodshed? That's an old thing. We go into the woodshed. My dad had a woodshed. It was called his bedroom. I remember one time I brought my report card home. I was a little slow on the first six weeks getting started, and I gave him my report card. I took six subjects, very taxing on a young guy. All Fs, one D. So he brought me in there. His little tent of the meeting was the bedroom. I'd like an explanation about this. And I said, well, Dad, I kind of had to focus on that one subject. Oh, and you, oh, and you were smart, Alec, too. And then he began to put, and that's, sort of a, a fat, that's sort of an embellishment, but it makes good humor. But he did say this. He said, you know what? I got something for you. And he administered godly discipline. Let me tell you, the next six weeks, I had some C's. I buckled down and studied hard. I had some C's. But that's what reminded me of that. And God said, Moses, Aaron, Miriam, to the tent of the meeting. You three to the tent of the meeting. And let's go on. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent. And he called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, that's God, hear my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. 
He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. They got off scot-free. No, they didn't. Miriam was struck with leprosy. Aaron went to Moses and said, Moses, help us. Moses went to God and interceded. And God said, okay, it'll be for seven days. She's outside the camp, and then she'll be clean and come back in the camp. God takes this business of, of faithfulness serious. So back to our story in 14. So God has heard stoning, stone him and all this. And then he appeared to uh, the tent of the meeting with Moses. And here's what he said. I, and the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them, I will strike them with pestilence. I will disinherit them and I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. He said, guess what, Moses, here's what I'm thinking. You're going to be the new patriarch, and your descendants are going to get to promised land. So I'm thinking back to when Moses went to the Lord and said, if you love me, kill me. And Moses probably standing there going, yeah, okay, I'm kind of tired of this stuff. He didn't. He went to the Lord, and he said, Lord, I've been thinking about this thing. What will the Israelites think if you brought them all the way out to here, but you couldn't get them in the promised land, and you kill them? How will that look? And he goes on and on and on. And then it says here in verse 20, Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your words, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test ten times and have not obeyed me. They complained about the Red Sea, he parted it. They complained about water, he threw a log in it and made it sweet. He, he split a rock and gave them enough water for eternity probably. We're hungry, you get manna. We want meat, you get quail. Come on. You can't figure this out. Some of us in here today need to figure this out. God gives us what we need, but yet in his word where he tells us things to do, we go, well, I'm not sure I like that one. That's not faithfulness. So God weighed in at the tent of the meeting. And so he's going to pass judgment. I, I do want to read one part because it's pretty tough. So he says, I'll, I'll say this and then I'll read what I want to read. He says, for every day that they were in the, uh, they were scouting out, you'll give me one year and you'll go back into the desert. And he says, from the age of 20 years and older, and he puts a caveat, 20 years, and you've complained and grumbled and not trusted me, you will die in the, you will not enter to promised land, you'll die in the desert. 40 years. And I, I'm going to tell you now, if I was one of them villains, I'm going, boy, God, I got a 20-year-old daughter. I sure hope they hadn't followed my, my deal and complained. I want them to get through this desert and get into the promised land. See, they, these guys didn't know what they were doing to their family and to the nation of Israel. You're going to go from where you should cross in. You're going to go back to the desert. But then you had some kids and some wives going, well, probably kids going for the ten villains. Mama, what happened to Daddy? Those ten villains were killed immediately by plague by God. God's not going to tolerate what he was tolerating there. And some of you here are now thinking, 
That's not love. But listen to this, and then we'll close. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing I will do. Remember that. Your dead, verse 29, your dead body shall fall in this wilderness. And all of your family number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell. Except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Boy, you want to be in that tribe, don't you? Let me see where I'm at. But your little ones who you said would become a prey, I will bring them in. And they shall know the land you have rejected. And he says this again. But as for you, your dead body shall fall in the wilderness. Oh, that's so much not love. The saddest verse in my mind is Numbers 14, 25. Look at this verse. Now since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. You're going to be out there 40 years. You're going to be eating man and quail. You ain't going to have no trees to shade you. Lord will provide for you, but you ain't going into the promised land. I'm trying to imagine in my mind, what was Aaron, I mean, what was uh, Joshua and Caleb saying to Moses and Aaron on their way out? Here's what I think. Moses, we were right there. We could be in the promised land. Oh, come on, we were right there. And Moses probably said, we will follow the Lord. We will lead these people through these 40 years, and then we'll enter the land. And Joshua and Caleb, they had faith. They believed that. But can you imagine? We're right there. And they didn't get the cross. Let me say this. If you're here today, I'm speaking mostly to Christians. If you're here today and you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's not anything that goes on in this world that happens in this world that the Bible will not help you with. Your family, if you'll read it, listen to it, and do it. Your finances, if you will follow God's plan, you may have a bump, but he will, he will protect your finances. I saw a survey where it said out of a thousand evangelics, 5% actually tithe. Then I saw another place there it said if, if the, the millions or whatever of um, Christians would tithe, there'd be a trillion dollar surplus. Listen, if you won't help with your finances, you need to do it God's way. You need to be sold to God. You need to be sold out to God in faith and let God work that out. There was a time when I had to say, okay, baby doll, we're going to put all our bills on a lazy Susie. We're going to spin it and whatever falls off, we ain't paying, but we're going to pay God. And I spun it hard. I want them all to fall off. We just, I, just made, I just made arrangements. And you know what? I've been making arrangements my whole life. But God's going to get what he's supposed to get. That's a principle you need to think about. Church. We're going to do a starting points class. Some of you have come here, you never united. God expects you to unite with the church and make the church a place of importance. What adults do in moderation, kids do in excess. 
make church a priority. Today, everything under the sun comes in place of the church. And listen, we're here at Pool of Bible, and I told Jeff this. I said, it's one, one service a week. Make it a priority. Remember, what you do in moderation, your kids will do in excess. I would venture to say, if you don't handle your money right, your kids are going to be messed up. The Bible says, um, raise up a child in the way he should go, and he will not depart from him. Train up a child. That means your earnest desire for that child. If church is just kind of an afterthought, more than likely they'll never go once they get out of the house. I'm just telling you what I think. Told you this might get a little iffy. But you have to demonstrate a faith and a trust in God as a Christian and follow his word. Relationships. You know what God expects in a relationship. If you want it to be successful, do it. That's faithfulness. So let me give you the application and we'll be done. If you're going to have a life of faith, it requires focus. You have to focus. We're not here to do everything but what God planted us here for. We're here to serve him. We're here to worship him. We're here to live for him. And along the way, he gives us good jobs. and He lets us meet friends. And he lets us have families and all. So that we can serve him, be faithful to him, and trust him with all of that. The focus has to remain on God. Faith... uh, a Christian focus is to be on Christ and not our circumstances. I can, you know, anyone of us in here can say, well, yeah, but. Quit looking at your circumstances. Get in the Word. Read the Word. Understand the Word. Get help with the Word. And do what the Word tells you to do. That's faith. That's trust. Faith is understanding and following God's Word. That's the Bible. Living by faith does not mean you don't plan. But just remember, when you plan... And you're going down that road and you're doing what you think the Lord wants you to do. He's subject to redirect that plan. And he'll do that through his word and the Holy Spirit. He's impressed on her. Now you might not ought to do that. It's funny. I'll get these things and it can't come from me because I ain't that smart. No, no, you need to do this. Start thinking about that look and say, wow, that's a whole lot better than the plan I had. So just understand he may change that plan. Your lack of faith can impact your family and others. Now, am I saying that your dead bodies. No, I'm not. But what I'm saying is, it impacts your family. Your lack of faith impacts your family. As a dad or a mom that takes care of a household, trust God, not the circumstances, because it'll impact your family. It sure impacted these Israelites' families, didn't it? Those ten villains cost that whole nation 40 more years in the desert. And then the last thing, Make up your mind. You in or you out. You're going to trust God or you're not. The Bible speaks to those that go back and forth and it says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. That's for Christians. Let me talk to you if you may be here and you're not saved. And you may think, boy, this God is kind of not a God of love. Sure, he, he sure is. Because he gave his only begotten son to die on a cross to pay for the sins of the world. When Jesus was on that cross, there's a song. When Jesus was on that cross, you were on his mind. If you've never trusted Christ and you think, boy, you know, is that a God of love? It sure is. He sacrificed his son for the sin of the world. 
The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the last time I checked all, it meant all. They ain't changed the meaning of that word yet. But the Bible also says, for the wages of sin is death. And it's not talking about just dying. It's separation from God. The Bible says, says, for the wages of sin or death, I used to get your sin is called death and hell. That's Bible. That's not Barry. But then he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let me say this to you. I use the, it's kind of like a ticking time bomb, but not really a ticking time bomb. The Bible says, for what is your life? It is but a vapor that appeared for a short time and vanished away. I cannot believe I'm 66 years old. I still feel like I'm 15 or 16. And you know what? When you're 60, you know? But it also says, boast not of tomorrow, for you know not what a day may bring forth. The accepted day for salvation is today because you don't know what will happen when you walk through that door. You can leave this building without Christ, but you better not leave this world without Christ. Let's pray. I'm going to ask the, the uh, men to come up, the musicians, I mean. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your story of the 12 spies. Lord, how that encourages us to live a life of faithfulness. I pray for each person that's here, Lord. Lord, you know uh, Christians, non-Christians. Lord, everybody in this room, if there's someone here that's never trusted you, Everybody in this room has been there. We know what they're going through. Help them to, Lord, come to the knowledge of what Jesus Christ did for their sins and help them to trust you. For those who are Christians, we pray, Lord, that you would help them trust you and be faithful.